If you enjoy our content and think this is important material, the best compliment you can pay is by sharing this with your friends and family. This helps us out a lot. Also, if you enjoyed today's program, please like, comment, share, and subscribe to this podcast. We would love to hear from you. Welcome to the Truth In My Days podcast, where we defend the Word of God against the challenges of men. Hello. Today, we have Sonia interviewing John about textual criticism. This is the field of study through which we can know the original text of the New Testament. We are continuing from the previous episode today. What well, it seems like the, the rule boils down to pick whatever reading is in the minority of the manuscripts. Only if it gives you an error. But it is true because you will see, and you can read through some of the textual critics explaining their decisions, that oftentimes the canons clash. So how do you decide which one to go with? And then they have to pick and choose. The one they always go with is the one that allows there to be an error. Look, for example, back at Mark 1-2 that we started with, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Okay, look at the first rule. Shorter one is to be preferred because scribes tended to add. By that rule, you should be going with the prophets because that's the shorter reading, right? But there, you you just ignore that that rule because that's, in that case, and go with the rule, oh, the more difficult one because you want to pick whichever canon you're going to be able to use to give you the reading that puts in an error. it, It seems that the cardinal rules, number one, that scribes took it upon themselves to alter the word of God willy-nilly. And rule number two is they maximize the errors. They absolutely maximize them. So when your rules clash, go with the one that gives you the error. Here's another example of a general problematic result. Matthew twenty four fifteen. This is in Jesus' Olivet Discourse. And in verse 15, he says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Mark thirteen fourteen records the same speech from Jesus. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let the reader understand. Now, what's, what's, the question is, what does this let the reader understand? Well, I guess, could it be that at the time it's happening, then it will be understood? It's two possibilities here. Number one, this is an editorial comment. Matthew, when, when Jesus refers to the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet... Matthew put in this editorial comment, a rather strange editorial comment. Whoever reads, let him understand. Let him, let him figure out what Jesus is talking about here. The other possibility is it's part of Jesus' speech. When he says whoever reads, he's referring to reading Daniel the prophet. Well, I guess that seems more likely because what are the chances that Matthew and Mark would have the same editorial note at the same place? Ah, if they're written independently, there's no real chance of that. But if they're not, if there's literary dependence, this would be proof of literary dependence, wouldn't it? Well, it's, it would seem to be circular because for that to be any kind of proof, you'd have to assume literary dependence in the first place. 
Well, that's the point. It's, it's a proof of their independence. As you said, the chance that two authors would independently insert the exact same literary comment is nil. But if Mark wrote that and Matthew is copying him, then of course he would put the same comment in the same place. So this is taken as proof for literary dependence. But that's only if it's an editorial comment. And it makes more sense that it's Jesus' comment because he brings up something spoken of by Daniel the prophet, doesn't explain what it is, and would therefore say, look, you're, you're reading Daniel, you, you figure out. So here's the problem then. In the critical text, and again, you'll see this in the NIV, the NASB, the ESV, it reads, but when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, let the reader understand. Out of Matthew 24, 15, it is missing the phrase spoken of by Daniel the prophet. That's missing from one person in manuscripts, that's all. But it's a, an omission that's significant. Because once you have taken that, that part out, whoever reads, let him understand, cannot be a comment from Jesus. Because the comment would refer to understanding Daniel the prophet, when you read him, but you take out spoken of by Daniel the prophet, there's nothing for it to refer to. Well, unless the phrase abomination of desolation is so well known and they, they know it's in Daniel the prophet, I suppose. That's unlikely, though, because let the reader understand, then would seem to be, well, why, why reader then? Yeah, why should that not refer to people reading Mark and reading Matthew? It pushes it more towards, I think, a literary dependence view, which is what they want. And again, why do they pick such a minority reading? Well, you've got that canon. The reading that creates discrepancies with other quoted or parallel material is to be preferred. Last time we saw parallel material. Here we see quoted material because Matthew and Mark are both quoting Jesus here. And if Matthew and Mark always agree, that's great. I mean, Jesus said this one thing. But if in some places you get, a, you get a bit of a discrepancy because something is left out, we'll go with that. We want the discrepancy. So, again, you, you might argue that this is not a huge thing, and, and you might be right, but all of these added together, all of these climbing one on top of the other, eventually you get to the point where it's, it's just not reliable after that. The Bible is too many, too many errors, too many discrepancies, too many contradictions, too many scientific errors. And that eats away at the reliability of the Bible. Now, here's another one. This is from Luke. And again, it's a general problem. Luke 23, 14 to 19. And this is Pilate speaking to the crowds. He says, And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod. For I sent you back to him, and indeed, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. For it was necessary for him to release one to them at the feast. And they all cried out at once, saying, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. Yeah, does that make sense? Seems to. Yeah, he offers to release Jesus. And they say, no, no, take him away. Release to us Barabbas. Well, why? Because he's got to release one person. They don't want Jesus released. So, hey, give us Barabbas instead, right? Yeah. Okay. Now, imagine taking out verse 17. I will therefore chastise him and release him. And they all cried out at once, saying, away with this man and release to us Barabbas. 
then yeah, why why would maybe they don't want Jesus to be released? But why are they asking for Barabbas? Yeah. Why do they want a murderer? Yeah, at minimum, it becomes very confusing because he offers to release them. They don't want him released. They say no. But why ask about Barabbas? Well, we know why because it's Pilate's custom. He's, he's he has to release one person. So if you don't want Jesus released, you have to ask for somebody else. But without that information. For it was necessary for him to release one to them at the feast. Without that information, it makes no sense or very little sense. And as you guessed it, that verse, verse 17, it's missing in the critical text. It's therefore not in the NIV. It's not in the ESV. Though it's present in 97.9% of the manuscripts. And interestingly here, the NASB does include it, but it puts square brackets around it. And puts a note, early manuscripts do not contain this verse. So when you put these square brackets, what you're saying is this this is really not authentic. And they're telling people it isn't authentic, but they're including it anyway. What's because the... otherwise the reader will be completely confused. Yeah, it, again, it's this, there's a, a little bit of a problem here. If you don't think it's in the original text, why are you putting it into the translation? Well, like a Bible commentary, I suppose. But it's a translation, not a commentary. And then you'd also wonder, like, what message is sending to people? Like, they'll look and say, hey, you put something in the Bible that shouldn't be there. Why is it there? What, what else is there in the Bible that shouldn't be there? So little problems, but they add up. They, they add up to, to tear away at the credibility of the Bible. Here's another one. Mark chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. And this is the time where he's dining in Levi's house and with the tax collectors and sinners who are there together with him. And the scribes and Pharisees complain about it. When the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What does that mean? Well, he, he's spending time with the, the bad people because those are the ones he, he's, he's come to save. But what's his purpose in eating with the tax collectors and sinners? To call them to repentance. Exactly. Now... If these scribes and Pharisees were a little quicker, they would realize there are no righteous. All of us are sinners. All of us need to come to Jesus in repentance. So let's hope they would eventually pick up on that. But this is what he says. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And that's an answer to why he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners. It makes sense. He has to get to them so that he can preach the gospel and they can repent. Lo and behold... The critical text, Nestalian text, leaves off to repentance. Now, what does it mean now? They, they complain, how is it eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Well, I, I, it seems to me, like, call somebody all throughout the Bible is always talking about like, calling them to the gospel or whatever, or God's will anyway. So maybe it would have been implied. But you think even the righteous need to follow God's will. It might, you know, you could say it might be implied because of what you know from elsewhere. But on the other hand, it almost sounds like he's saying, hey, I like to hang out with tax collectors and sinners. I don't like hanging around with you guys. I want to hang around with them. Because he, he affirms that he's hanging with them, but he doesn't give the reason. 
And to me, that is a bit of a problem. Well, even with the preceding verse, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. That could even be taken as an insult against the people, right? Like, why do you need me to hang around you, right? You're, you're fine, right? I don't like hanging around you. You're, you're, you're too self-righteous. You're too full of yourself. I like to hang out with tax and sinners. They're more fun guys. Now, you might think, yeah, you know the Bible well, Cyan, you wouldn't get that impression. But you know what? I have seen pastors preaching that kind of idea. Well, I guess also maybe the, the Pharisees wouldn't understand just call without call to repentance well, at that point. Yeah, it's quite possible. This is early in Jesus' ministry. But as I say, I've seen pastors with that idea. They're just more authentic and nicer people. It's more fun to hang out with those guys. But you know what? The Bible is pretty clear that tax collectors and sinners were not nice people. Neither were the bad guys. Okay, they, they, These Pharisees and scribes were not nice people either. None of us, we all need Jesus. We all are sinners needing to be called to repentance. Now, interestingly, in Matthew 9.13, the parallel passage there. Thank you, everyone, for listening today. Unfortunately, we have run out of time. But please join us for the next part tomorrow. Same time and same place. Thank you for listening to the Truth In My Days podcast with John Torse. We would love to hear from you. Please feel free to share any questions or comments you may have. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, MeWe, and YouTube. Simply search Truth In My Days as one word. Again, Truth In My Days as one word, no spaces in between. And you can connect with us. You may also visit our website for more comprehensive material and to learn more about our ministry. Our website is truthinmydays.com. Thank you. Thank you.